electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. Speed bumps and ride hailing? Lyft's report prompts competitor Uber to change the timing of an earnings release. I think this is a Lehman moment. You never want to use the word Lehman anything. And both companies may have to spend to get enough drivers on the road. Lyft president John Zimmer. The market wants to understand the business model coming out of the pandemic, and we asked them to to give us one more quarter to make investments that we feel like are the right thing to do for long-term profitability. NFTs from a fad to an asset class with a lot of extras. Entrepreneur and investor Gary Vaynerchuk. People always communicate through what they own. Art, cars, homes. People are going to communicate through the digital assets they own, but on top of that, those assets may have a utility. All that today, plus the headlines that got us squawking, like Elon Musk's latest Twitter tease. He may return it to the public markets. I'm told the minimum to get in is $250 million. So if you have $250 million, I think there's an opportunity. You'd need a lot of help, Andrew. I think we both would. It's Wednesday. May the 4th be with you. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one, two, three. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Your buddy made a lot of news yesterday, uh, Andrew. Who? Paul Tudor Jones. I got a lot of buddies. Who are you talking about? Well, that one was uh, just that was that was kind of a, uh, a, a reality check, I think, for a lot of people. What would you be telling Jay Powell right now? Oh, I'd, I'd be saying looking for look for another job. I think this is one of the most challenging periods ahead for the Federal Reserve Board in its history. You remember Paul Tudor Jones, Davos. There's this. I there's do. A case, there's a case in China called coronavirus, which is a total wild card. That look, was Jane. He, he he was right on that. I would say we've got a curveball with uh, this coronavirus. I think that's a big deal. Uh, well, I hope not. He was right on Bitcoin. Yeah. I mean, in terms of I when he came in. I think I was in Bitcoin before him, Andrew. Okay. <laughs> remember it was. I remember when he finally came around. Elon Musk uh, has told potential Twitter investors that he could return the company to public ownership in as little as three years after buying it. That's according to the Wall Street Journal, as we said, a new report in that newspaper. And it says Musk uh, has been speaking to investors, including private equity firms, who could help pay for the deal and reduce the $21 billion that he plans to pay. The rest of the $44 billion price tag is coming from loans. Uh, Musk also shedding some light on a potential business model for Twitter, tweeting last night that Twitter will always be free for casual users, uh, but maybe there may be a slight cost for commercial slash government uh, users. 
government. I like that. I, I would call myself casual at, at best, Andrew. Especially you, if they're going to charge you. Yeah, but my retweets are I, not I, endorsements, Andrew. I just I, I need to emphasize that again and again and again. It just uh, right. it's, it's just something what, to look what's at. What's so fascinating about what Elon's been doing, and I talked to a number of investors about this on Monday and then yesterday as well, is there, there's two groups of people he's talking to. He's talking to some of the large investors who are in the company now publicly, right? And this is the Fidelities of the world, the black, all of the sort of large investors, because what he wants them to do is to roll over into the deal. That lowers the price unto itself. That's not even talking about taking in new money. And then he's talking to private equity money, hedge fund money, some other uh, debt folks and the like. But what's interesting is he obviously publicly said what he said at that TED conference now two weeks ago, saying, I'm not in this for the money. <laughs> but now but then he has to pitch it to investors as price, yes. He's right. having to we make, are in it for the money. He's having to make a business case for why people should roll into this and invest into this side by side with him. And of course, one of those things is changing the business model. The other is the tantalizing prospect that if he's successful, and given the amount of success he's had over the years, it's impossible to bet, bet, bet against the man that actually he be, could become so successful at this that he would turn around and bring it back to the public markets in several what, years. What, so. what is the interest among the big institutional investors, the fidelities and the like? Because that, that would be a trickier sell, it would seem to me. I think it's a very, I think from, from the, the conversations I'm having, it's a very, there's a very mixed uh, view. There's some people who think, you know what, you got to bet on Elon. Look what he did with Tesla. Look what he did with SpaceX. Look what he's doing with the boring company, Neuralink and all of that. And, you know, <clears throat> let's get in on the ground floor of this next great opportunity. Um, and there's others who say that this Twitter is actually very, very different from the sort of manufacturing um, piece of what he's been so successful at. I, I've talked to a number of people who say, look, the one thing that this guy knows how to do is create a factory. He understands how to he understands the machinery, the, the way a factory works better than anybody in the world. But but Twitter speech content, media. I mean, he's quite successful, obviously, at it unto itself on Twitter right now, but that it, that, that, un, that that may be a very difficult and different type of challenge. So It didn't do badly we'll at see. PayPal, but I, I did ask uh, Ron Barron yesterday what he thought about this move into Twitter, especially since we've seen the sell-off in Tesla shares as a result, if he was concerned by that. And he wrote back kind of a tongue-in-cheek um, response where he said, what do I think about the recent Tesla drop? Are you talking about the 1100 to 900 which was right after the 800 to $1,100 gain, which was right before the 1200 to $800 decline, which was right before the 900 to $1,200 rally? He wants to get in on Twitter, doesn't he? He's going to ride, uh, ride along with Twitter. I don't know, I don't know that he's no. going to get on that. No, he, said, well, he looks at every stock differently, so he has not said not. he'd get in, uh, in board with Twitter, but I don't think he's concerned by the swings in the Tesla shares. Uh, I, I don't know whether Elon cares about making money Andrew, but let's say that someone said, Andrew, you're worth $250 billion. I've got a $40 billion company for you. You'd say, yeah, no problem, until you try and do it. And then you realize $250 is not, <laughs> I guess it's not as much as you, th it is, but it's there's liquid. a difference it's between liquid. having liquid well, $43 billion. Especially and, when and you've pledged, especially when you've pledged half of your worth already. Right. Nobody else could even think about it. So guys that have five, six billion could, and, and to the, they are billionaires to us. We look at them like they're. Well, they're billionaires to everybody. They're billionaires <laughs> to everybody, but it sounds like a lot of money. And then, it, then it, it, it makes me think of, of people that have made a lot of money over a career and then you find out they're broke or something yeah. and you know, whether, you know, in any, you in any field, not, I'm not gonna pick on athletes well, and things like that. Joe, I'm told, I'm told the minimum to get in 
is a $250 million. So to if, get you, into if this? you have uh, $250 million, I think there's an opportunity. Mr. Uh, that much. I know people. They'd have to, I'd need a lot of help, Andrew. I think we both would. Okay. Roku has teamed up with PE firm Apollo Global to bid for a minority stake in Stars, the pay TV and streaming channel. It's according to the Wall Street Journal. Owner Lionsgate announced back in November that it was considering selling or spinning off Stars, which it bought for $4.4 billion back in 2016. Now Lionsgate, combined with Stars, is valued at just $3 billion. Roku is the creator of popular streaming set-top boxes. It's been stepping up investments in original programming, including developing more than 50 original shows over the next two years. So in many ways, maybe the streaming war is just heating up. You've got Netflix on one side, but Roku on the other guys. And this was this was sort of one of the last puzzle pieces, sort of independent puzzle pieces available in the marketplace. Yeah, uh, I don't know. We've had discussions that on stars. Someone said, I think it was someone and it was not in a positive way. And we're talking about is Julia Roberts playing Martha Mitchell on stars or something? And I'm told I haven't <laughs> seen it yet. I'm told it's fabulous. Though. Oh, really? Have you seen because, it? Uh, the, well, the point was it. The point was that there there are no movie stars left and they've they can fall so far to the point where they're on sort of a uh, what tier would you call stars? Uh, so I don't know. And oh, you just I said it, it was it's completely the opposite. No, it was no, no. 4.4 so, billion. Now it's worth three. I'm starting to question whether, you know, content might be king, but it's got to be something I want to watch. Um, do you remember? I remember the real Martha Mitchell. And I, I have no interest. I don't think I have any interest in her or John Mitchell, really, at this point. Or you may well, not. <laughs> I look at that as sort of a, an effort by stars. Uh, stars is paying through the nose. I mean, this goes to the, sort of the larger issue, which is if you're willing to pay up and you saw that's what Apple did effectively. You know, you could argue that, that, that Apple bought its Oscar uh, this yeah. past year. You're right. starting to see these streaming players say, look, we're going to go after, you know, Julie Roberts is, I think, a one of the last bona fide stars in Hollywood. Well, obviously uh, we're gonna not. Go, we're going we're gonna to pay up uh, to get her and, and what, Sean Penn. Did you finally see this. Coda Sorkin? Did you finally see that, Coda? I did. I did. It was did great. Did you cry like a baby? Great. You cried like a baby, didn't uh, you? I don't know if I cried like a baby. I, I, you know me. I cried a lot of things. So, I know. Yes, well, I, a, you would have to well cry at film. that. When, when you saw her, when, when her father was holding her vocal cords and I mean that was no, unbelievable. It's, it's a very it's a very well done film. There's no there's no question. The, and it, the other, the other yeah. thing that this brings up though is Lionsgate what its future will be because if they sell off stars the thinking is that they, it will be ripe for a takeover target that it will be small enough and again content maybe um, you know, there's some questions about it, but you, you would assume that this would be one that could be snapped. I mean, it remind, Andrew, it reminds me, once again, our great friend Bill Murray in, uh, in Groundhog Day. You know, I've got another network interested in me. And, uh, Weather Channel? QVC. <laughs> so, Andrew, you know, just watch how you push me around, because I've got places to go. Uh, I've got other networks clamoring. Up next, ride-sharing giants Uber and Lyft have struggled to keep drivers on the road through the COVID-19 pandemic and through surging fuel prices. CNBC's Deirdre Bosa on the story of both companies' latest earnings. Is this a good business? Both of these companies are trading so far below their IPO prices from a few years ago. It feels like the market has decided that they aren't. 
and lift President John Zimmer on the investments he'll make in drivers. The simple message was we're, we're going to invest in Q2. We're going to put up numbers into Q2, 3, and 4 that show ROI on those investments and pay off in the long run for the stock. Stay tuned for more Squawk Pod. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. Today on the podcast, ride hailing, hitting a few speed bumps. Lyft shares took a hit on Wall Street after reporting quarterly numbers yesterday. The company's earnings and revenue beat estimates in the first quarter. But active riders came in lighter than expected. And it's the current quarter's guidance that's weighing on the stock now. Lyft says it expects revenue between $950 million and $1 billion, lower than the $1 billion plus that Wall Street was expecting. And Lyft said during the analyst call that it would have to invest more in driver subsidies in the coming quarter, although it didn't say how much it would spend. And then something interesting happened. Lyft's decline after hours Tuesday took a toll on Uber, which moved up its earnings release to before the opening bell today. Here's Joe, Becky, and Andrew on Uber versus Lyft. Guys, I don't know why it's a surprise to think that they'd have to pay more in driver subsidies. When you look at gas prices, what's happened with that? Obviously, it's more expensive, and it's a very tight job market, so you got to lure people into these jobs. Is it, it's, it's, what about demand? I mean, I don't know. But it, I'm, surpri- a, I'm, I'm I am surprised. I'm surprised because I think, but I think you're not going to see nearly the same kind of incentive structure going on at Uber. So I think there will be a question. I think this is a Lehman moment. I mean, I don't want to say, you never want to use the word Lehman anything. But if you remember that people describe this as a Lehman moment, there was a, there was a period in which other banks, like if you remember, uh, I think it was Bayer at the time, reported their earnings and obviously got, were in terrible trouble. This is now going to date ourselves. It was 12 years ago, more than 12 years ago, back in 2008. And then, of course, you had uh, Lehman Brothers, because they wanted to show strength, they immediately actually upped their earnings even earlier. So, What, what, what anyway. would be the difference? I mean, Andrew, just the, the way they bring in employee or the way they bring drivers in what's the difference between the two companies oh i think this is going to be this is going to be the quarter and we'll see and by the way we'll talk to zimmer about it as well this is there has always been a operational question about which of these companies um frankly has better quote-unquote operations right oh Um, i I just mean just in terms of the comp the compensation they have to pay drivers do they have a different structure is there something that uber does better in in terms of doing it or is it just the more well-known brand look I, I think you, you can talk to different drivers who have different views. I think that there was an argument that had been made uh, probably over the last year or two 
that Uber had invested perhaps more in the actual app itself and a lot of the back-end systems um, and things like that that actually work with the drivers. Um, again, we'll talk to Zimmer about all of this. I think it's well, going to be fascinating not, to see if there really is. There's not as many people doing but, that, right? What did you say? Well, with the reopening, you figure there's not as many people that are ever. Can I tell you a story? So, if, so I had six college women that needed to get back to Philadelphia on a Sunday night. Right. They were going to take a, 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 an, an Uber. Clarify, this was your daughter. Then my daughter. Friends. Yeah, that was my daughter. Couldn't, wouldn't happen. Booked 10 different cars. Every right. one of them canceled. Wouldn't do it. Wouldn't go to Philly yeah. and back. Couldn't yeah. do it for no matter how much money. I had to rush them to the train station. But you know what some of these guys do? They cancel on the phone, but they come anyway, and they try and pull into your driveway, which gets them a $5 cancellation fee or, really? or something. Yeah. We had to stand out there and not let people pull into It's like, we know what you're trying to. It was like, it was so crazy. Have you heard anything like that? Sorkin, where if they come, get into the that, driver's suite, they get to charge the account $5 because they came all the way and then canceled it. Well, but no, it there's like, a cancellation fee. Three yes. of them tried I, to get I, into I, the driveway. I'm very to, familiar with the cancellation fee because I cancel all the time, unfortunately. But you do. they get paid uh, for the cancel. This is, yeah. this is bad society on both sides of it. Man. It it's, it's social compact. If you're going to make it, they got to show up and you got to pay for it. You can do, but the six people can do it uh, cheaper than a train, even to Philly. You know, you can do it cheaper yeah. than uh, than six people buying train tickets, but you can't get anyone to do it. I would do it for two hours. Let's talk charge them because it's like two hours down, two hours back. Uber's first quarter financial results included a top-line beat, but a loss of $3.04 per share was largely due to an accounting loss from Uber's stake in Chinese ride-hailing app Didi. CEO Dara Khosrowshahi said the company's driver base is at a post-pandemic high, and he expects that to continue without what he called significant incremental incentive investments. So paying drivers to get back out there. Uber moving up the release time earlier than expected meant that it was out during our TV broadcast this morning. And here's what that sounded like. We'll start with CNBC reporter Deirdre Bosa. And I heard you guys talking about this earlier. You know, Uber really focused on driver supply earlier on last year. They went big um, with it, $250 million in the first half of last year. Um, Lyft also did it, but they didn't quantify it exactly. And I think that's really the problem with Lyft shares that have been down as much as nearly 30% is that investors really want to know how much they're going to spend. So clearly, very different stories this quarter between Uber and Lyft. Back over to you. Hey, Deidre, there's the spending piece, but how much of this do you think in terms of drivers deciding to drive on Uber, drive on Lyft is an operations story at this point? It's a good question. Uber likes to say that now they have the Eats platform so drivers can get business from both sides. However, you take a look at Lyft and they're kind of more vertically integrated for the driver. They have a fleet management services. They have a rental program for their drivers. And, you know, the old sort of saying is that they were kinder to their drivers. But, of course, Dara Khosrow Shahi has been a very different manager than Travis Kalanick from a few years ago. So it's hard to say. But I think what you can say is that it's very, very competitive between the two. Um, there was also some comments that Dara Khosrow Shahi says here is that they their lead in the market category is at a multi-year high. So that would imply that their market share is at a multi-year high. However, when I spoke to John Zimmer last night, he said that their position, their market position has been stable. So it's worth asking him again when you talk to him later, Andrew. 
Hey, Deirdre, one, one question. Um, do drivers, what, what percentage of drivers drive for both services? So, you know, they can flip a switch and say I'm a Lyft driver or flip a switch and say I'm an Uber driver. I, I just wonder because yeah. if Lyft says that they are going to spend more on driver subsidies, wouldn't that put pressure on Uber to, to match that? Once they start doing it, how easy is it to flow back and forth and what percentage of the drivers do that? That is a great point, Becky, because so many drivers are on both platforms. I don't have an exact number. Um, I don't think we know, but whenever I get into an Uber or Lyft, I ask them and they always have the Uber and Lyft. Sorry, whenever I get into a rideshare, they have both apps. It is so easy to switch between that so many drivers do that. And that's a really good question. If Lyft is going to be pouring money into driver incentives, that could be pulling them away from Uber. Is Uber going to have to respond? And that comes back to this core problem in ride sharing and the question, is this a good business? Both of these companies are trading so far below their IPO prices from a few years ago. It feels like the market has decided that they aren't. And yeah. their measure of profitability adjusted EBITDA is not really appreciated in the current environment. I mean, I just I, I go back to that old saying when it comes to the airlines, you're only as smart as your dumbest competitor. If your biggest competitor is spending a lot more, you may not plan on spending more on those driver incentives, but you may not have a huge amount mm -hmm. of choice. That's a great point. And maybe that's why you're not seeing sort of real enthusiasm in the markets. Uber shares haven't moved all that much, although I also have a feeling that maybe investors are trying to digest that big headline loss um, due to that DD stake. The EBITDA outlook should be encouraging. But again, it's a great point that you bring up, Becky. Are they going to have to spend in the rest of the year because Lyft is? Joining us right now, Lyft president and co-founder John Zimmer. John, it's great to see you this morning. I'm so glad you're here with us to help explain what's going on. Uh, clearly, the market uh, listened to what was said yesterday and came away with a very negative impression about what those incentive costs uh, would be. Um, speak to it, if you could. And I'm curious what your sense of the reaction is. Yeah, uh, you know, we're, we're focused on the, the rebound. You know, Q2 is an opportunity for us to kickstart a big year of growth. We're really happy with uh, the numbers we put on Q1. Uh, beating expectations uh, on revenue, uh, on adjusted EBITDA, and and you know the simple message was we're we're going to invest in Q2. Uh, we understand the market reaction. We don't we don't love the market reaction, uh, but uh, we're going to put up numbers into Q2, three, and four uh, that show ROI on those investments uh, and and pay off in the long run for the stock. Why do you think that the market uh, has reacted as negatively as it has? It's a choppy, uh, choppy market environment right now uh, as a whole. Uh, and and the, market, the market wants to understand the business model coming out of the pandemic. Uh, and, and we asked, asked them to, to give us one more quarter to, to make investments that we feel like are, are the right thing to do for long-term profitability uh, and, and to get uh, supply and demand into balance coming out of Q1, where we saw uh, the Amrikan spike. Explain this if you could. So one of the things that happened, as you know, this morning was, and I think it was because Uber was uh, anxious uh, that their results or, or their stock would get pounded similarly like yours when they felt that they were not in the same place. How do you see the incentives and the cost of those incentives that you're going to be putting in place for drivers differ from what Uber is saying, which is to say that they're saying that they're not going to have to increase spending? Yeah, I'm not going to comment on what they're saying or what they're doing. We focus on our execution. We're, we're happy with the progress we're making on service levels. ETAs uh, year over year improved by 30%. So we're in a good place as we look across the industry. Our, our, our What we call uh, service levels or those ETAs are, are in line with industry. We are seeing on the horizon a lot more growth. We're adding back shared rides. 
Uh, more and more people are coming out. We just faced down a, a pandemic and did extremely well bringing the cost structure uh, into better alignment with, with the stage of the business. Uh, and, and we want to lean into that upcoming growth. Uh, can't comment on what others say, but that, that feels right to us. Can, can you just put some numbers around what you think that incentive uh, plan may have to look like? And do you think by putting that plan in place that it's going to actually force Uber to have to do something similar? Um, you know, the, the numbers that I can share, what we shared on the call, the, the adjusted EBITDA guidance of 10 to 20 uh, and the, the revenue guidance uh, up to a billion dollars, uh, which, uh, you know, would be the first time hitting that target or near that target, uh, you know, since the pandemic. So, again, I, I can focus on what we're doing. Uh, we feel like it's a great long term investment uh, and, and we care deeply about our shareholders, which is why we're making the investment. We care deeply about their reaction and are going to put up numbers in, in Q3 and 4, uh, as well as Q2, to prove this is the right decision. Hey, John, I, I guess looking at your numbers and, and, and looking at Ubers, and I know you can't comment on theirs, but they basically say they're not having a hard time finding drivers. It sounds like you are having a harder time. Are they paying them more or is there some other reason that you feel like you have to pay up to get drivers when it doesn't sound like they think they do? I wouldn't say we're having a hard time. We saw a 70% driver activations uh, increase year over year. And so we're, we're actually having great progress bringing uh, new drivers uh, and keeping drivers on the platform. Then why are you going to uh, pay Q, more? We're, we're going to invest in getting more drivers uh, and keeping drivers because passengers are coming back and they're looking uh, to service levels. Uh, and, and Q2 is going to be in a critically important time to demonstrate that, that we're bringing supply back in line with demand. You know, we, we just came out of a pandemic and the spikes in demand are less organic than in typical times. Uh, and what we've found through the pandemic is doing something like this uh, pays off uh, over a couple quarters. And, and that's what we're doing. I mean, we were trying to put this in context and I, I understand you don't love the comparison between the two of you, but it is a duopoly, really, the two of you kind of going back and forth competing. So it's hard not to. When you look at the airline industry, the quote was always, you're, you're only as smart as your dumbest competitor. I'm just trying to figure out if you're their dumbest competitor or if you are brilliant in a way that you're going to steal these people back and that they're going to have to follow suit. We're, we're confident in our strategy. Uh, we've been in the market, Logan and myself, uh, have been in this market for 10 years. We understand the balance of supply and demand. We understand the return on investment. Uh, and, and we just faced off uh, two years of a pandemic, improving the cost structure, making smart investments. Uh, and, and we're focused on continuing to do that. We, we are confident in what we're doing uh, and can't comment on how others see things. Hey, John, one of the things we've been talking about is the platform itself. Uh, and yes, this will be a comparison between the Uber platform and the Lyft platform, but some of the steps that you're taking and Uber's taking to increasingly make it harder for drivers um, or, or, or at least incentivize drivers to stay on your platform rather than this constant switching back and forth, creating incentives. The more, the more rides you do, the more opportunities you get. Do you see a time, and I remember we talked about this a couple of years ago, I said, you know, you can just pop from back and forth and back and forth, and you said that was fine. Do you think in the future that's still going to be fine? Uh, we're continuing to invest in a driver loyalty program we call Lyft Rewards. Uh, you know, we have different tiers of, of our top drivers. We're better able to see which drivers are being most productive on the platform uh, and providing those drivers uh, with the right reasons to stick with Lyft. So I think, you know, we will continue to get better and better 
uh, at identifying uh, the top drivers that add the most value uh, and keeping them on the platform. Uh, but part of the, the benefit of this type of work is the independent contractor nature and their ability to, to make that choice. What has what the real impact of fuel costs been on the business uh, in, in terms of even interest by, by drivers to get on the platform or stay on the platform in this, in this moment? We have not seen a negative impact from, from gas prices. As we said on the call, driver earnings uh, average about $24 an hour. Uh, and this was before we added the 55 cent surcharge. Uh, so we, we did that, you know, uh, to respond to the fact that gas prices are coming up, uh, but, but haven't seen a negative impact uh, in terms of driver earnings uh, or prices of rides uh, deterring passengers. Uh, strategy longer term, what do you think of the taxi market? Um, I, I, I raise this because obviously this is becoming a big issue uh, here in New York City. It won't only just be black uh, black cars or, or Camrys or whatnot, but, you know, tapping into these networks of taxis in other cities? Uh, it's not, not a focus of ours. Uh, not, not that interesting. Obviously, as I said, we've been in this market for 10 years. We've seen this before. Uh, I believe our competitor tried it and pulled back on it. It, it creates a bad user experience often. It's difficult to, to make work uh, because taxis are incentivized to take a street hail, which then ends, ends up with a cancellation uh, on the rider. Uh, and there's also uh, different regulations around the pricing uh, of those rides. So uh, again, we're you know we saw 70% increase in driver activations, uh, and so we we're we're confident in this focus on on the ride sharing use case, and and don't have plans to add taxis to the platform. Okay, John Zimmer, uh, we appreciate it. Uh, we will uh, we hope to have you back so that we can see where things uh, things land next quarter. Um, by the way, what, what's the one thing you think that investors should be looking for next quarter? I know, I know you've obviously put out your earnings and, and, and or put out your guidance, but in terms of measuring this, and, and we'll see the stock, I should say, John, uh, unfortunately hasn't moved up uh, while we've been speaking. It's sort of been hanging around uh, the same place uh, the whole time. And I'm just wondering whether you think that, uh, in fact, it might have even gotten marginally worse, whether you think there's some kind of misunderstanding here. I can't can't comment on on whether there's there's a misunderstanding. I I believe it's a overreaction uh, for one quarter of investment. The the but but I understand uh, and I've talked to investors and will continue to talk to investors. They want to see demonstration of leverage in the model, uh, and I'm very confident about demonstrating that in the second half of the year and in the ROI of making this investment in Q2. So I think that's what investors will continue to look for. Show show me the leverage in the model uh, while while demonstrating continued growth. We will, we will show that, uh, and, uh, and we look forward to doing so. John Zimmer, uh, we wish you lots of luck, uh, and we will be watching. Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod, real, fake, the future of technology? Drag me into the future. Somebody's got to do it. NFTs and the opportunity ahead with entrepreneur Gary Vaynerchuk. It's going to take time for NFTs to penetrate mass scale. What's going to be the Amazon, eBay, and PayPal of this generation? Because the rest of them are going to be very, very, very ugly. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. 
Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Up and Andrew, Q. Welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Joe Kernan and Becky Quick. NFTs have been dropping in value just this morning. Elon Musk has changed his Twitter profile picture to a montage of Bored Ape, uh, Bored Ape's NFT images. And then he tweeted. Seems kind of fungible. I don't know. Seems kind of fungible to me. NFT Um, fungible? Yeah. uh, Or non? Joining us now is a big believer in NFTs, Gary Vaynerchuk, founder and creator of VFriends. What do you read it? That to me looks like he's saying, yeah, you may own one of these apes, but they're out there and I can easily just put it up on my profile picture. So why pay for something like that? Is that what he's saying, Gary? How do you view uh, what Elon Musk's point is here? I'm not sure. I think Elon's got his, you know, finger on the pulse. And obviously Board Ape is the one of the great projects in the NFT space. I mean, I can take a picture in front of a Lamborghini outside. Doesn't mean that I own it. I could take a picture outside of a building in Manhattan and say I own it. Most people are bringing their internet brain to the blockchain. So they say silly things like that. The blockchain is a ledger that shows ownership. Um, this is what always happens when there's big technology changes. So I'm empathetic to the point of view, but um, just by clicking or putting a picture doesn't mean you own it, just like in real life. Right. Then again, uh, you have to separate, eventually separate the wheat from the tape. Is well, that, that it, it, yeah, it, that, that, that is the far more interesting point is everybody who's watching this knows in 97, 98, 99, 2000, Wall Street gave outrageous, obnoxious valuations of 14 billion, 34 billion for internet companies because they properly sensed that the internet was going to be one of the biggest technology shifts in our society, but the economics did not make sense against the companies at the time. And over the last 25 years, we've seen those different companies that did those things go on to do that. I think the same thing's happening with the NFT space. The consumer blockchain is going to be a profound change for everybody watching this right this minute. But to your point, and I've been saying it over and over, 97, 98, 99% of the projects today are going to be overvalued because they're not going to be able to keep up with the supply and demand curves. It's going to take time for NFTs to penetrate mass scale. And so that's what everyone who's deciding to invest in NFTs needs to think about. What's going to be the Amazon, eBay, and PayPal of this generation? because the rest of them are gonna be very, very, very ugly when, it's, uh, when that time comes. That's, and that is what we're, we're trying to figure out. And you almost need to be a futurist to see how everything fits together. So I don't know, internet 3.0. I don't, I don't, I don't, what, I don't how does it all work? So you got blockchain, so you can, you can definitely see uh, ownership. You've got, uh, I don't know, a, a payment method based on the blockchain to, to, that you can transact with. You're going to live in, in some metaverse where you own an NFT 
double-breasted jacket or, or a piece of property that isn't real? But I mean, how does it, how's it going to work? And, and why does it just seem like it, it seems so pie in the sky at this point? What's it really going to look like? The same thing that everybody said about Twitter. This, this program in 2007 and eight would talk about Twitter as who cares if people are eating pizza or walking the dog. In reality, Twitter and the other social networks were the framework of modern communication. Um, to your point, having a double-breasted jacket in VR, that's silly. But every receipt being an NFT, every ticket to every sporting event being an NFT, and then having collateral royalty value, every album drop not getting funded by a record label, but getting funded by fans. I mean, you're talking about profound technology shifts. I mean, again, because I've been through Web 1 and Web 2, I'm incredibly uh, empathetic to people trying to figure out these big new technologies. And it does take a half a decade to a decade for them to really hit the potential of the people that are most enthusiastic about this. So what it takes is always good fundamentals, like pay attention to who is actually driving these businesses, figure out like which projects actually have real life utility, taking advantage of the smart contract in the real world. This becomes looking at the jockeys, much like picking a stock, by the way. Hey, Gary, what did you just make of the idea that there are so many fakes out there? Uh, there's so many there's so many fake NFTs. I mean, some people are arguing 80 percent of the NFT marketplace is fake. You see OpenSea, all of these folks are having problems across the board. And the truth is that what makes an NFT special and it, to, the, to the degree it even has a, a, a resonance is this fungibility issue that it's not supposed to be fungible. The second it's fungible, isn't the whole thing sort of upended? Yeah, brother, I think this is a lack of education. You know, unfortunately, when there's gold rushes, um, the reality is, is that people are going to have their worst come out. And to your point, right now, people are not accustomed to be the non-custodial holder of their assets. And so people are falling for scams, giving out their seed phrase, clicking on fake uh, links. Um, they're not fungible. To your point, they're not the real thing. And it's black and white there on the ledger and it's verifiable. But unfortunately, when somebody thinks they're about to win something or get something for free or you've been chosen, they let their emotion you know, jump in and they're, they're making some early mistakes. No different than all the credit card scams we had in 1996 and seven. It, when, I, when I was helping my dad build winelibrary.com, all people told me was nobody's going to do this because people are getting their credit cards scammed. It takes time for technology to catch up and take a, a hold and fix some of the vulnerabilities of human behavior. You started, uh, Gary, taking me where, where I need to go with what you think the utilitarian um, purpose will be for a lot of this stuff in five years. Do you have more for me? And can you, you know, speak slowly so I might understand? So I might, I might understand. Go five years, ten years. And because what do you wake up in the middle of the night and go, oh, my God, I could do it for that. I could use it for that. Or, or this is what, what might happen. Yeah. And, and by the way, everybody did that with Internet in 97, 8, 9, 10, right? Originally it was the information superhighway, but then later people were like, wait a minute, can I sell stuff on this? Wait a minute, can I talk to people on this? To your point, my friend, I, you know, every membership club card on earth should and will become an NFT because the issuer has a royalty component against it and it becomes something that you can collect royalties on transactions. Um, country club memberships. Um, there, there's so many uh, ways for the issuer of the intellectual property to benefit from the transactions. In this month on eBay, 
there will be tens of millions of Disney items sold as collectibles. eBay will make a big, the human that owns it will make a big, but Disney won't collect anything on that transaction. In the future, Disney will be making royalties on this. This is giving incredible economics to the source of the intellectual property or issuer of the asset. When everybody who's watching this right now says, oh, this is silly, I ask them, have they paid $150 for their kids to buy a Fortnite skin or roadblocks points or Minecraft points, right? Because when you live in an environment, you care. You care. People care whether you like it or not. People care if they have a blue check mark on Twitter. People care how many followers they have. People always communicate through what they own, art, cars, homes. People are going to communicate through the digital assets they own. But on top of that, those assets may have a utility. A high-end piece of art on the blockchain may also give you access to have dinner with that artist four times a year in Cannes and London and New York. That is what the blockchain enables. And as every person who watches this starts to actually get educated instead of headlining and pontificate, they will start to see the opportunities within that framework. You had some new stuff too, Johnny Walker uh, partnership. Yes, uh, look at this. This is what I don't understand about the metaverse. I, uh, the wine library, I can drink your wine. I don't want to drink wine in the metaverse. I, I want to drink Johnny Walker. I don't, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to drink wine in the metaverse either. How about this Johnny Walker? Tell me about this. Well, this is amazing. Obviously, you can imagine for me growing up in, at Wine Library, Johnny Walker Blue is the iconic stature item. To be able to do a collaboration with them, with Gift Goat, one of the premium characters in my Be Friends universe, as I march towards trying to build something on the levels of a Pokemon or a Disney, is a pretty signature moment. I'm pretty excited about it. Um, and I'm excited for the Gift Goat owners who get this and the physical NFT along with it. And I think that's the thing that people are struggling with. To your point, my friend, I'd much rather drink a glass of wine with you in real life. But in 20 years, if the alternative, just like doing a Zoom meeting, is we both put on an Oculus or wear contact lenses and it feels 83% like we're drinking together, that's better than the fact that we couldn't be together at all because you're in Singapore and I'm in Milan. Uh. Well, I want you to behave yourself on that Zoom meeting. Yes, I, I don't sir. Know, you know, I promise. Um, yeah, I okay. Promised. Uh, thanks, Gary. Uh, and, and we'll talk about, the, you know, I, I'm still interested in V Friends. You got the Series 2. So you, there's a Series 2, Series v 1. Must, v must, by the way, VCon. By the way, VCon in two yeah. weeks, Minnesota, U.S. Bank Stadium, eight, seven to 8,000 people Amazing. because they own V Friends. They're coming and Snoop uh, Dogg, Pharrell, Evil Memoria, like, we're bringing it. Drag me. I'm not kicking and screaming but drag me into the future. I I, 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 it's somebody's, <laughs> somebody's got to do it. Thanks, Gary. And that's it for Squawk Pod today. We thank you for listening. As always, Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. It's good and sometimes emotional TV. You cried like a baby, didn't you? I don't know if I cried like a baby. I, I, you know me, I cried a lot of things. I know. Or get the best of Squawk Box right here anytime. Find Squawk Pod wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll meet you right back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. 